Uh, so this is a, the last session before we did Q&A, so I'm going to try and pile a lot in here. I really want to encourage you in the area of church discipline. It is frightening. It is, it's terrifying. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to sort of quickly give you a few pointers here that I think will help you. The way you have to teach it. If you go on, I know preachingtoday.com has my sermon on church discipline. It's called The Compassion of Confrontation. Um, I wrote it up. So the manuscript of it was in the Southern's journal years ago. But here's the thing. You've got to flip the narrative. What is the fear people have when you talk about church discipline? Uh, they, they think you're being judgmental, harsh, uh, that you're going to use it to manipulate. You know, preachers are just going to kick people out that are opposed to them, that kind of thing. So what you have to do is show that that confronting people in their sin is the most compassionate thing you can do. To leave someone in their sin is cruel. If sin is harmful, and it is, then the worst thing you can do is ignore their sin. Just basically, you're literally saying go to hell. So the... You know, the thing you've got to convince the church is we, we're going to love people too much for that. We're going to confront them in their sin and beg them to come back. <clears throat> I, I could tell you story after story. I want to tell you two. One that just just happened recently. We had a man in our church. He was a deacon, one of our best teachers, godly guy in so many ways. <clears throat> Took a job in another city. His wife... Um, it was a big position, you know, and his, his wife decided to stay here <clears throat> because they, you know, uh, it, it wasn't going to be a lifelong thing. He'd do this for a couple of years, but the worst thing happened, you know, what happens when a, a man's living in another city apart from his wife and she let us know about it. <clears throat> I even flew to this city one time, met with him. He and I exchanged texts <clears throat> for a long time. He he told me that he had not had a physical affair with the woman, but um, later came out that that was not true. He was lying to me, and I knew he was. Uh, but, you know, um, <clears throat> we, we just went through the steps with him, and I told him, I said, I, I need to have a very hard conversation with you. And, I mean, we had I'd been trying to talk to him. He was just closed. But... He came in for a weekend, and I said, I want you to meet with me. He came to my house, and, you know, I'm, I always am praying and asking the Lord to help me know which way to go. Sometimes you got to be tough and in their face. <clears throat> you know, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You, you, you know better than this. And there's a time to do that. Sometimes, though, you, you've got to be pleading, weeping. And I always ask the Lord to help me know which, which way, which tactic to take. And I knew this day the Lord was just impressing me to, to go the ladder. And he sat in my living room and I pleaded with him. I said, listen to me, <clears throat> there's a way back. And that's the phrase I use, there's a way back. It's never too late to find a way to honor the Lord. And I said, I'm, 
I'm willing to walk that way with you. Our whole church will walk that way with you. I'm begging. I said, but you have to decide what you're going to do. We were going to bring him up at our September <coughs> um, family meeting to discipline him. But after that meeting, I told the deacons and staff, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to proceed with him because I, I think he's, he's still hanging in the balance here. He's not made a final decision to turn his back on the Lord. And by the grace of God, leaving out a lot, uh, Saturday, <clears throat> he and his wife sat on the couch in my living room just weeping. And he's come home, left his job. He apologized to me for lying to me. And <clears throat> we're going to walk that road with him. Uh, it's, excuse me. You know, it's, it's a long, hard road of repentance. And I always emphasize that, that <clears throat> it is a long, hard road. But it's the only road worth being on. And we'll walk it with you. We'll, we'll counsel you. We'll help you. And, man, to see it work like that. Uh, I could just tell you so many stories. Uh, <clears throat> I, I had a youth pastor in another church, his wife had an affair with a female summer intern at the church. It doesn't get messier than that. The pastor called me and said, they can't stay here. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's blowing up here. And he, though he's not sinned directly in this, he can't stay as youth pastor. Will you take them? I mean, man, you talk about tough, you know, and I happened to love this guy a lot. So I said, okay, I'll take them. <clears throat> they literally moved from another state to be there where we could walk that long, hard road of repentance with them. <clears throat> we actually received them into our church under the discipline of the church. Told the church, not the details, but that there had been a breach of trust and a sin and that they were coming specifically to do that. And I'm telling you, <clears throat> the church responded beautifully. Here's the thing. If, if you will learn to deal with sin directly, you'll be amazed how little gossip there will ever be in your church. Things get whispered when they don't get confronted. But when you confront and say, okay, we're dealing with this. Now you are not welcome to talk about it because uh, we're, we're on it. We put some people around him or around her and we're just asking you to pray. Any discussion about this would be out of place. They, they respect that. They honor that. <clears throat> and, and this, uh, I, I've seen it. My own son um, was a summer intern at Buck Run and he fell into sin, self-reported sin. This was years ago before he was married. He was a young man. But, <clears throat> you know, if you're on our staff at any level, you're going to be treated as an elder. And the Bible says those elders who sin rebuke before all that others may fear. And <clears throat> after I relieved him of his duties, I brought him before the deacons and told them what he'd done. Not again, not the details, but what they needed to know. Uh, 
and I publicly re I rebuked him in front of them. I said, you brought shame and reproach on the name of Jesus Christ and on this church. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I said, do you? Do you repent? He said, I do. The deacons forgave him. They laid their hands on him. They prayed for him. And when we were through, I looked at him and I said, now, I'm going to. I'm going to do this in both Sunday morning services Sunday. So when we had two services in the old building. That was on a Friday night in an emergency deacons meeting to deal with that. On Saturday night, my phone rang and my deacon who speaks less than any other deacon. I've been his pastor for 16 years. I've heard him speak 30 words. He called me. He said, pastor, let what you did with the deacons be enough. Don't do this in front of the church. He said, it's hard on you. It's hard on us. It's hard on him. I said, Paul, I appreciate so much your kindness. I know where this is coming from, and I'm grateful. But my problem is the scripture. Because it says, the elders that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. And I'm going to do that. At the end of both services that Sunday morning, I did exactly the same thing in front of the congregation that I'd done in front of the deacons. That was, I don't know, 2006 or seven, maybe. Um, today, that son of mine is one of the godliest husbands and fathers I've ever seen. I have deep admiration for him. The same church that disciplined him later elected him as a deacon. I'm so proud of my church. They get both sides of the arc of discipline. That there's restoration. And that someone who was broken can be made whole by the gospel. And we've seen it. We, we believe in it. Not long after I did that with my son, by the way, without going into the details, a woman in our church fell into sin and I confronted her and her family resented it. And on a given Sunday morning, her four adult siblings, her mother and stepfather, they all went into their various Sunday school classes with a plan to try and stir up trouble in all those classes. And in every single one of them, they all got the same response. It was, he did this with his son. Why do you think he would not do this with your sister, your daughter? Now, that's never the way. I wanted to get credibility on that issue. But I got credibility on that issue. And my son today will tell you it saved his life. And that family, they, they left our church. They literally left our church 
after that Sunday school class that day. They didn't even come in the worship service, and they went and joined another church that day. Uh, I've watched them from afar, and they've disintegrated. Just, just every horrible thing that could happen to them, both morally, spiritually, physically, has happened. I'm not saying God's that's retribution. I don't don't misunderstand. I'm I'm just saying I think running from the discipline of the Lord is a dangerous thing in general. I think it's harmful to you in the most practical ways. And I think embracing the discipline of the Lord is the best thing you can do. I, I've seen it time and time again. When you can tell your church that this is an act of love. You know, the easiest thing for us to do would just be pretend that's not happening, but we all know better. And we're going to stand before the Lord and answer, did we weep o'er the erring one and lift up the fallen? Did we strive to get them back? And when you present discipline that way, uh, I think they're more willing to follow. Let me see here. Uh, just to be clear, there are three grounds of church, church discipline. First Corinthians 5, gross immorality. This is such a, a sin of such a nature that even the Gentiles don't do this. Not all sin rises to the level of discipline. It's this unrepentant and repeated gross immorality that is just clearly a, a lifestyle that is against the scriptures. The second is doctrinal heresy. <clears throat> uh, I had a man at, in Lexington who became a universalist. He also became insistent on trying to convince the rest of the congregation in universalism. And we had to discipline him. That, again, that's not one of those things that we can live with disagreement on. That's that is an attack on the gospel itself. That gives people a false hope that condemns them to hell. And so we brought him before the church, um, his name, and we removed him from the fellowship of the church for doctrinal heresy. The third thing is creating division. Someone who is intentionally disrupting the fellowship of the church, even when <clears throat> they've been instructed. This, this is not a way for pastors to get rid of their opposition. This is someone that is disseminating lies or trying to hurt, get brothers and, and sisters against one another. Uh, Paul says after the first and second admonition, you reject them. Uh, you, you see this pattern in 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18. By the way, it should not be lost on us <clears throat> that Jesus, outside of the book of Revelation, he, Jesus only uses the word ecclesia three times, and, and it's in, all in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. And Matthew 16, upon this rock I'll build my church, but in Matthew 18, it's about church discipline. Tell it to the church. If he won't hear the church, then you treat him as a, a publican, a heathen. You, you put him out. 
Paul uses the same kind of language in, in 1 Corinthians 5. So you see a pattern of you go to them, and if they won't hear you, you go back to them a second time with others. If they still won't hear, then you tell it to the church. And that's what I try and do. I try and have at least two meetings. So with the guy I was just talking about, I, I flew to that city where he was working, and I met with him there. And then I met with him in my house, a lot of text messages and things between there, but two times I met with him. And in that second one, I told him, hey, you, you've got a decision to make, but there's a way back. You know, there's a way back. And I emphasize that and praise the Lord. Uh, he's taking the way back. The, the fourth case is the one I already alluded to, and that is the sin of an elder. I, I, I think that has to be dealt with publicly. <clears throat> the others, I think the general principle uh, is that the, the circle of repentance needs to be equal to the circle of knowledge of the sin. So if someone at Buckrun comes to me privately and they confess they've had an affair, nobody knows about it. They confess it and they're forsaking it. They want accountability. They're repentant. I'm not going to bring them before the church and make it public. Right? So, because nobody knows about it, uh, I'm going to put accountability partners around him who will know about it. But we're not telling it to the church. But, you know, we live in Frankfurt, which is the state capital. About everybody in our church works for the state one way or another. And most things are going to make the papers. Uh, and if they do, then it's public. We got to deal with it publicly. We've had major theft that made national news. It was a guy in our church did this, uh, did a thing and came before the church Sunday after he was arrested. So <clears throat> I think that's, that's your basic principle. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go deeper into this. I just want to encourage you. If you teach it from the perspective of compassion and you need to teach it before you're in a situation, like so many things, once somebody's sitting across your desk from you, it's almost too late because now it's got a personality and people are going to remember I told you they root for the underdog. And if they feel like somehow this is an embarrassment to that person, they're not going to form the right opinion. You need to teach this before there's a situation. And then when you face the situation, you can say, now, remember, we've walked through this before. I mean, you're just like a coach who's taking them through drills, ready for game time. So that when you're in the game, you've already been through how to handle this situation. Questions about this? Yeah. Yeah, if it's if it's known, you know, it sort of depends on the situation. I've had uh, and I've handled it different ways. Uh, I've had people come before. Sometimes I would wait till a business meeting, what we now call a family meeting, and deal with it there. Um, as you get larger, 
uh, there's very few things that everybody knows about. So like, I think it's proper to handle it in the C group because that's the people they're connected to. But I think with sort of pastoral oversight of that, you know, those are the people that are walked through it with them. I'll tell you, uh, last week I met with a couple who's about to join Buck, or they did yesterday. <clears throat> and they were in a C group with the wife of this guy. And so they knew about the situation. And they told me one of the reasons they were joining, they said, we're stunned by the depth and the maturity of the people here at Buck Run. So we've never seen a place that handles sin like that, where that guy didn't get a pass, but neither did he just get abject condemnation and we're done with you. And they were just so, they, they were just so blessed by that. And I, I didn't even know they knew about it, but then they told me they're in the wife's C group and she had shared prayer requests and they were, they were stunned. I, I'll tell you, the Lord just uses it in so many ways. Um, but often, again, we, we're fearful and we just don't do it. So I think there's, you just got to ask yourself sort of what's the best way to work it out with them. No surprises. Your goal is never to humiliate. And once we deal with it, I instruct the congregation, you're not welcome to talk about it now. We've dealt with it. We're going to treat this sin like God treats this sin. There's repentance. We've got people around them that are going to walk forward, and they get to still talk about it to them, you know, to the person in sin. But the rest of us are done with it, and I and I say that, and uh, I th I think it I think it usually works. People are really respectful of that. Other question? Yeah. Yeah. So the second, I guess the second question I would have is most, it seems like most practically begins to work itself out maybe in the context of marriage. That's not the only instance where that finds itself within one of the church, but it does seem to, that might be the most frequent. Uh, it's, it's definitely the most frequent. Yeah. Well, that's right. And, that, and by the way, that's just the way we teach it. You know, uh, man, Buck Run's an unusual place. I, I've, I'm telling you, I'm God's spoiled child. I make no bones about it. Uh, I, I pastor the easiest church in the world to pastor. They just get it on so many levels. Uh, at Buck Run, one of the perennial big events, we do a marriage retreat every year. And about 70 couples come on that marriage retreat to hear me and Tanya say stuff we've said for 16 years. I don't even understand it, but the, it, it, if we have a guest come and speak, attendance drops. Tanya and I do it, it stays up. So uh, we, we do it, and, and we emphasize this, that your marriage is about a lot more than your happiness. It's about picturing the gospel, and this, this is why it matters. And, yeah, if there's a problem, we're going to be involved. Yeah. Yes, sir, Frank. You are blessed to have a congregation that has spiritual depth. Yeah, they are, it's so true. My question is, do you go about this any differently if you have a very immature, uh, a, a very uh, carnal congregation? Well, you got to start at square one. Again, like showing them, first of all, showing it to them in the scripture. You preach on it before you're in it. 
you know, ideally you, you, you preach on it. So if, again, if you look up and listen to my sermon, Compassion of Confrontation, uh, I think it's a good model for the way to approach it. And if you, you, you show them, this isn't about getting rid of people. Uh, it's about delivering people's souls from hell and gaining our brother, not leaving them in sin. And you, you sort of start there. So you, you just got to walk them through and show them the way Jesus did that. Jesus had that wonderful balance of confronting sin and yet restoring sinners, loving sinners. And that's, that's what he's called us to do. And again, you just have to, just like being a parent, you have to say things over and over and over. Yes, sir. Larry. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times when I confront people who are in sin, they'll just say, well, just take my name off the roll. And I'm telling you, you have to do that. Uh, this is where a certain mega church pastor and church that I know of, I won't call a name, but it was in the news and all they, they had someone that they were disciplining and say, well, just take my name off the roll. And they said, no, no, you signed a covenant that said you wouldn't get a divorce without elders approval. And you've done that. And we're not going to let you go. Just leave because we're going to discipline you. Well, there was more involved, something like abuse, like stuff happening in her marriage. And they just ended up looking bad, like they didn't side with an abused woman and they you know, wouldn't let her leave. Well, you can't do that. If someone says, take my name off the roll, end the discussion. You take their name off the roll. That you, nobody can be forced to stay in your church just so you can kick them out. But what you do <clears throat> is you, you note that they've been removed at their own request, but you sort of say they've been removed with prejudice, meaning... If they ever come back, they're going to have to go through a restoration process just as though they had been disciplined. <clears throat> but you, I would tell you, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you have a responsibility unless they are an abuser to sort of figure out where they're going. Uh, you know, because if they're not, if the church isn't writing for your letter of recommendation, then it looks like you're being vindictive to sort of find out where they're going and tell them. Now, you and I both know, like, if they're joining another church and association, you've got a relationship with a pastor, there's a good possibility you're going to say something privately. But I would tell you, I don't think you can do anything officially unless that church officially asked for their letter, which if they've removed their own name, that shouldn't happen. So uh, you, you really can't. There's no effective way then to trace them around. You know, once they're gone, they're gone. That's about all you can do officially. Yeah. To that question, do you guys do church membership interviews? We do. Yeah. Well, we want to be sure of their salvation, their baptism. If they've not been scripturally baptized, we want to find out about that. And and their history. You know, we do. Why are you leaving previous church? 
Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, we, we've been blessed. Again, uh, Buckrun's just a unique place. I think people who are the troublemaking kind don't typically end up at Buck Run. We did have one couple where I, it was from another church in town, a small church. I knew this pastor really well. And um, he had told me, you know, he had sort of confided in me about their departure and they were coming to Buck Run. And I made, and I worked out with a pastor what would be sufficient for him and his church. And they wrote a letter of apology for certain things, and uh, and and the church accepted the pastor and the church accepted it. So I asked them to do that to make things right with the church they were leaving. It was one of those situations where it seemed to me like maybe it was handled a little badly on both sides, but no matter, they should be right with their brother, and they did that before they joined our church, and and they, you know, they again Buck runs. Because it's big, you know, you can't make the same ripples that you did in a church of 30 people. So they've not, they've not been anything but good members at Buck Run. But I'm glad I had them make things right uh, as I knew the situation. Yes, sir. Well, if they're on our staff, staff. Okay. yeah, they wouldn't be considered. I wouldn't necessarily feel the need to rebuke them uh, publicly. That's not a position of authority. Uh, but again, circle of knowledge, those people would need to know about repentance as well. Yeah. Other questions? Yes, sir. John? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but is there a time then after this is told to the church that you do then come back and sort of I don't know follow up? On yeah, it just depends on sort of the situation. I, I have uh, at Ashland Avenue several times I've told the church that we are dealing with a certain person. I want you to pray for them and just ask for their prayers because we're dealing with them and hoping for their repentance. And Buck Run with this this guy who had been a deacon, we did this with our deacons. We got, and he told me that he it was neat. He told me there were there were several turning points for him. He said one was that Saturday on my couch where I told him, you know, there's a way back, but you got to make a choice. And the other one, oddly enough, he said was my podcast, the one with Tanya. And he said when he saw Tanya, he saw his wife. His wife was phenomenal in this thing. She was phenomenal, and just 
willing to forgive and take him back and yet hold him accountable. It was great. And, and our deacons, man, they texted him. They called him. He, a lot of times he wouldn't answer anything. Like he, I'd text him and he wouldn't answer me for a week. But, and I know that was not me alone. It was a lot, it was a lot of our people doing that. So it was, you know, it was just, I would say a church our size Telling it to the whole church probably wouldn't be helpful, but telling it to his peer group was. So that that I think that would require some. So what's the who's the group he needs to hear from? And in our case, he was close to a lot of our deacons because he had been one. And uh, they they really came through. We could talk about this the rest of the day, but uh, I want to move on. Because I want to talk to you about <clears throat> uh, growing your church deep, and I'm gonna we're, I'm gonna tell you what we did at Buck Run to totally change our discipleship ministry and our educational program. I'm also gonna confess to you that the first time one of my associate pastors suggested to me that we do this, I said, "You're crazy. We are not gonna do that." Because what he suggested to me was that we were just gonna do away with our, our traditional Sunday school model and go to a curriculum-driven uh, and large class kind of uh, setup. So you sign up for a class for six weeks. Uh, you take that class. At the end of that six weeks, you sign up for another class. But that means <clears throat> what do you do with your teachers? How do you get people to accept that? They've been in that same Sunday school class for 30 years. How do you totally revamp your Sunday school and what's the benefit of it? So Chris, come on up and I'm going to let him walk you through this, uh, what we did, how it's working. And I'm telling you, it's, it is one of the greatest changes we ever made. And it is working beautifully. It is deepening our church, I think, like nothing else we've ever done, just getting our people in the word. So I'm going to let Chris explain it to you with that adult discipleship uh, folder you have there. Thank you, Dr. York. So you do have a copy of this. Um, this is a slightly bigger version. We, we give um, a small like booklet version of this. Uh, we have available to our people. Sun, this Sunday in the lobby at our adult discipleship table, this is what will be out. So as our members that haven't been in a long time are coming back, we want to want them to know what's available and what we do. Um, so I'm going to walk through this a little bit, and then I'll, I'll take your questions. Uh, I'm not going to read it all to you because you can read it and you can, you can see what's there. Um, so four years ago, we, we made this shift. Uh, we took the traditional age-based Sunday school model and tried to figure out what, what's happening most of the time in those classes. That they're, The teachers in the class are trying to juggle two things. They're trying to have community, that they're trying to care for each other and to pray for each other and to spend time in fellowship and enjoying each other, and they're trying to teach. And what normally happens is they do one or the other of those better than the other, or they don't end up doing either very well. And so if a class spends more time fellowshipping and praying for each other, uh, and they don't fully get as much time as they need to teach, then the teacher feels guilty that they didn't get to actually get through their lesson, uh, though they got to pray together. Or if they rush the prayer time in order to get to, through their lesson, then they feel guilty because they didn't get to spend time praying together and, and fellowshipping. So we decided that uh, maybe the best way to do that was, at least right now, was to split those two things. So rather than asking a Sunday school class to be everything for everybody, um, to say, 
say, let's, let's have a time that's more intentional teaching, and then let's have a time that's more intentional community and, and fellowship. So uh, we started the summer of that year. We recruited and trained uh, community group leaders, community group facilitators. We launched community groups on Sunday nights, I believe in, in August of that year, uh, and then made the Sunday school shift later in that year in October. So we were right at the four-year mark uh, for Sunday school. And so uh, by by splitting those two things out, we, we hopefully the intention was we can do both things even better. So our community groups meet most of them are on Sundays. Um, some meet after service. Some meet in the afternoon. Most of them still meet Sunday night. Um, a couple meet on Mondays. We have some new ones that are coming soon that will be uh, during the week. Most of them meet for about two hours. And the first hour, what they do, they share a meal to dig together. They pray for each other. They get to know um, their families. They spend that time together. The second hour, 45 minutes, they have discussion. Uh, we send out discussion questions. These are also in the app. As if you download the Buckron app, uh, these are discussion questions that go up on the app at the end of every service. We have a team of people who write discussion questions that are based on the sermon. So the intention is those groups, as they get together, they spend 45 minutes to an hour intentionally applying what they heard that morning in the text to their lives, thinking about how this applies to them directly. And so uh, it's not a teaching time. We tell our community group facilitators, uh, not only do I not need you to be a teacher, I don't want you to be a teacher. This is not a time for you to download a bunch of information. You're a facilitator helping to facilitate application uh, discussion, that you're helping to, to help people think about how this applies to their life. So that broadens who we can have as facilitators. I don't have to have somebody who's a gifted teacher because they're not teaching, that they're working through these discussion questions that are written um, to help get their, their group started and facilitating the discussion that way. Um, so we, we've seen great growth in that. We, we've seen uh, our Sunday night, uh, outside of student ministry, which was on Sunday night, our Sunday night attendance before that was 30, 40 people-ish. Uh, and we have now anywhere from 300 to 400 uh, adults engaged in a community group on a weekly basis uh, so that they're they're praying together, they're spending time together, they're doing discussion, applying the text to their life. Uh, we find with new members, with guests, as people are coming into Buck Run, the sooner we get them connected to a community group, we just don't lose them, that they, they end up there. Uh, we, we see this even with people who have not become believers yet, uh, that continue to come to Buck Run because they get connected to a group. So in splitting that out, we've given people now a time in which they can really do community well, and it's they can spend time getting to know each other, most of those are in homes. The preferences that those groups meet in homes, a few will meet at church on a short-term basis. Somebody has a baby, somebody's jobs uh, has them travel, and they can't host in their home. They may come to the church for a time, but we're working when they're at the church. We're working to find them a place to meet in a home. We find that's a better uh, atmosphere for people to really connect with each other is when you're hosting them in your home. Uh, so we have 21 live community groups right now and, and have a few more um, sort of in the hopper that, that are going to be coming soon. So we, we took that out, that component out of Sunday school so that now Sunday school is, is not the place where you're going to have a long prayer time or a ton of fellowship, uh, that that's going to happen primarily in your community group. That, that At Buck Run, that's where you're going to be known. That's where people are going to, uh, if you have a death in the family, those are the people that are going to be making the meal. Uh, when you have a new baby, those are the people that are going to bring meals to your house. When you lose your job, those are the people that are praying for you and are sort of the first line of defense and coming around you. Uh, the Sunday school side, so we, uh, we moved away from age-based curriculum, uh, continuous classes, and, and moved to, to what we do, basically six uh, Six-week cycles, we do seven of them throughout the year. So you can see uh, even the, these first couple pages, our, our mission and our model. We really wanted to, to help people become self-feeders. We wanted 
to have intentional and comprehensive uh, teaching uh, and understanding that there's a lot of good curriculum out there. There's a lot of things that you can buy. Uh, but understanding that uh, even as we looked at good curriculum that we had, that somebody could come to Buck Run and could come faithfully to Buck Run and to come even to Sunday school for five years. And depending where we, on where we were in the curriculum, there may be some really core things that they don't know yet because we've not hit that in the curriculum. And so we wanted to be more intentional with what we do. Uh, so we went to this uh, seven cycles in the year, six-week classes throughout there. Uh, you'll see we, we uh, have what we call seven commitments that function for us mainly as, as seven categories. Each of these categories has a, a core class. So the seven commitments are Bible, doctrine, church, discipleship, family, and missions. Um, so you'll see each have a little icon, so all of our classes are, are labeled that way, so they know this is sort of where it falls. Uh, seven, six-week cycles. The, the weeks in between those cycles, uh, just as the calendar falls, we leave some buffer. We have spotlight classes and, and one-shot classes. So spotlight classes are everybody in the entire church together. So if there's a particular issue we want to address, there's a particular thing we want to highlight. So last year we did, uh, uh, we brought in some folks and did a panel on racial rec- reconciliation. And so that was an entire church, everybody together. Uh, we've done several of those. Uh, and then sometimes we do one-shot classes where we might have three or four classes. They're one-week classes. Uh, it's really an op- a great time for us to begin to work in new teachers to begin to, to see how they do and, and to give them opportunities. Uh, you'll see as, as you turn each of those uh, subsequent pages represents all of those categories. The very first class listed on the, the top left is the what we would call the, the core class um, in that category. When we first launched this, they all had the same name. It was Bible Matters, Doctrine Matters, Discipleship Matters. We moved away from that uh, mainly because it really clearly identified those uh, core classes and people Everybody thinks, well, that's the, that's the introductory class. I don't need that. I'll go to the other ones. And so people stopped taking them. Uh, so we changed the names of each of them so they don't match and sort of hid them a little bit. They're still there. But now more people are going to them because they don't see it as a remedial thing. Uh, the way we've tried to describe this to people is it's not that those core classes are remedial or that they're just introductions. It's that everything in this category, uh, like the what is the Bible class, is a 30,000-foot view, that it's a really broad view. Uh, and then as we move through the category, some classes are going to be more broad and some are going to be much more specific. So you've got the what is the Bible class. Uh, Dr. York taught this year a class through the Sermon on the Mount. That's, that's a really narrow section. That's, that's a, a really zoomed in view on a particular passage of the Bible. Uh, so the classes that you see listed on each of these pages, the top left is the core class. So for Bible, that's what is the Bible for doctrine. That's the we believe class. That's, that's sort of the basic, the introductory, the, the 30,000 foot view. The other ones that you see specifically listed uh, are really sort of second-level classes. These are ones that we intend to rotate, that we intend that these classes are going to come up again and again and again. Uh, And then you'll see also listed on all those is what we call special studies. Uh, So these are classes that we may choose to offer that may come up again, that may come up every year, may come up three years. We may not do it again for a decade, uh, just as we have opportunity as teachers have, have expertise. Uh, and at the bottom of those pages, you can see the classes that we've offered in each of those. By far, we offer more classes in the Bible category than any other uh, any of the, of the other categories. We want people in the Bible. We want them actually looking at the text, and so we, we feel like that's really important. So we, uh, we try to offer a, a lot there. Uh, one of the, the main benefits that we've seen in this, even aside from what we've seen it do in our people, it, it has really allowed us to utilize our best teachers in their best areas. 
Um, so, for example, we have a, a, a church member who's a, a doctor, uh, studied medical ethics. It's something he's really passionate about. Uh, doesn't have the schedule or necessarily the know-how to teach 48 weeks out of the year. Uh, he couldn't do that with his schedule. If I said, I need you to teach a class in perpetuity, he would say, no, I, I can't do that. But he can give me six weeks uh, on um, a class that is specifically designed to help Christians think about how the gospel interacts with ethics, and, and particularly medical ethics, so uh, things like end-of-life care. That's his wheelhouse. I can put him in there and let him teach that. It's in his expertise without him him having to commit to teach all the time or me having to commit to having him teach all the time. So it gives us a really good way to work in new teachers and to put our best teachers in front of us, in, in front of our people. We, we're blessed that we do have a lot of really gifted teachers. And so I'm able to continue to put people in their sweet spots and to put them before our people uh, to help them grow. Uh, we want them to be self-feeders. Uh, we want them to learn uh, not just uh, the introductory things, but we want them to continue to be deep in their theology. They get that from the pulpit every single week. And so what we, we feel like that what our adult discipleship model does is to come alongside of what's happening in the pulpit. Uh, even Dr. York teaches every single week. He has 40 to 50 minutes in the pulpit. He's got an hour to an hour and 15 minutes in Sunday school. And he's going to be able to do more in that class and to go into some things that maybe he wouldn't do in a sermon uh, to show people things as he walks through text. Um, he sometimes is walking through text. He's doing theology courses. He's, uh, he's, he's taught any number of things. Um, so we, we walk people through these six-week classes uh, on, our, on our website, uh, on our YouTube page, on our app. All of these classes are recorded and are posted normally by 1.30 or 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. Uh, the intention there is not really even primarily for people outside Buck Run, though we're happy for people to use it and to benefit from it. Uh, the intention there is with six-week courses, uh, if somebody misses a week or misses two weeks, it's really easy for them to say, well, I've missed two out of the four already. I'm just going to skip, and I'll maybe pick back up in the next cycle. And some people might actually do that, but a lot of those people would not pick back up, and then all of a sudden it's been six months and they've not engaged in Sunday school. Uh, so we want to give them an, an opportunity. So you missed for vacation. It's great. You can catch up. You can actually watch that online so that you can come next week and not be behind. Uh, the way our kids' ministry runs, the people that work in kids' ministry uh, miss two out of every six Sundays. So they work uh, during the adult discipleship hour one week. They work during the service hour the next week, and then they're off. And so we want to give them an opportunity to still be involved in these classes, even though they're not going to be physically present for two out of the six. They can still watch online and, and catch up that way. And this gives us a way to continue to, to help people be engaged. Uh, we've we found that there have been times that people who haven't come to these classes, somebody's come to a class and said, hey, you need to come to this, and they sent them a link. Hey, watch this class. And then that next week that person has shown up and is, and is there physically. Um, so it, it's given us a way to help uh, be more intentional and comprehensive in the way that we, uh, we train our people, the way we walk them through stuff. It's incredibly flexible. Uh, so right now we've got 2020 planned. Uh, all but a few slots we have almost completely planned. Uh, but even there, there's flexibility. If, if a particular issue arises, if there's something that we really feel like we need to address, if there's a particular theological issue, we can move stuff around and we can add in a class or we can take away a class and, and, and decide to do something else uh, and to really cater to the needs of our people rather than buying some, some pre-bought curriculum somewhere and then hoping that it hits our people where we need them, that we can really respond to where our church is. Uh, as far as the content for these classes, we have any number of, of options of the way we get it. So Dr. York writes uh, his material, so his classes are, are written by him. A lot of our teachers write their own stuff. 
Uh, we've borrowed from places as well. So Capitol Hill Baptist Church has a similar model. Uh, they put all their stuff online. So they've uh, all their their whole classes. They've got manuscripts. They've got teaching outlines. So and they put it out and say you're happy to use it. So every now and then we'll pull a class from there and adjust it. We might take a week or two from this thing or uh, two or three weeks from over here and adjust it to our needs and uh, and be able to hand that to our teachers. Uh, we've got some teachers that are really gifted and can write their own stuff, and so we let them do that. There are others. Uh, that don't quite have the time or the giftings to fully write a class on their own. Uh, that we, I might write that for them. I may set that up, give that to them, and then help them walk through it and, and let them teach it and sort of make it their own. Uh, we, we're, we are blessed to have some gifted teachers. Uh, but this has really helped us, I think, be more intentional and provide what I would say is maximum, maximum efficiency with the gifts that we have um, to be able to reach our people and to put the best people in the best spots um, to teach people well. So what questions do you have about this that I might could answer? That's a great question. <laughs> Uh, so when we when we went to this model, we allowed for at the time I think Scott it was eight. There were eight classes, the eight, and you can guess which age range. There were eight uh, age-based classes that said we're, we we gave the allowance to continue to do what they do. Over time, that has condensed to two. Um, so they're called the legacy classes. I didn't pick that name. They don't like it. I don't. There's a disagreement about who picked that name. Uh, but so there are two classes they, that they meet continuously. They do curriculum-based things. Um, the agreement was essentially you, we're going to allow you to exist, right? We're going to give you a place to meet. Um, the use of our building, so the nice thing is our, our building, every room in our building is used for multiple things throughout the week. Um, so it is nice that they don't have a spot that is just theirs, that they can put up their posters and that you, you can't do that because that thing, that your room is going to be used for four other things this week. So it's not just your room. This is where you meet on Sunday mornings. Uh, and so we allow them to meet. We provide what they need. I'm glad that they're there. They don't get promoted the way that this does. Um, so when we talk to new members and we're encouraging them to, to be involved and, and to come to class, this is what we're telling them about. Uh, if they say, hey, I heard about this other thing, I'm happy to walk them there. I, I'm not angry about it. I'm, I'm like, we're, we're good that they exist. Um, but they know. So at Buck Run, if you come um, in, in our building over by where all our classrooms are, there's a, a giant thing on the wall that walks through sort of our core commitments, what this is. There's... It's from floor to ceiling, basically. Here's all the current classes, and here's all the upcoming classes that start in the next cycle and what date those start. They're not on that wall. Uh, and so they, I think they would sometimes like to be on the wall, but to say this is what we're pushing people to as new members come in. We're saying what's the best way we think that you can be equipped? Right now we think it's this. We, we, we think this is the best way. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. 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 So part of that is trying to, as we we offer five classes at a time, uh, and so trying to offer a balance. I I don't want to do five heavy classes. I want to I want to have at least one or two that are really easy for somebody who either is not a Christian at all or is a baby Christian that can be slid in and they're not going to struggle. That they they're going to be perfectly fine because I don't want that to happen. I don't want somebody to show up 
and every class they go into, they might get swallowed up if, if they're a new believer. Um, part of it is Dr. York's class is always in the sanctuary. So it's always an easy spot. If somebody comes in and doesn't know where to go, a lot of them will slide into there. Uh, myself, uh, uh, Andrew Cross, one of our pastoral interns, and, and other folks are always sort of, all of our classes coalesce, right, sort of in a, in a region. So we're posted up there. Uh, so as people come by, and they're looking for a class. We help them. What are you looking for? Here's what this class is about. And, and offer suggestions. This might be a good place to go. Um, but a lot of that is trying to balance that uh, that schedule so that we're not putting all of our heaviest classes. Uh, there are some te- teachers that I know. Uh, the nice thing about this is that we have one teacher who is incredibly thorough. His classes are really, they're, they're terrific classes, but not everybody can handle it. So I'm not going to put him in a cycle that's already really heavy. Uh, because I want to have an easy spot uh, for people to go. So trying to balance those things throughout the year. But, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We, we try to always have, my goal is to always have at least one class that's just walking through a text. So whether that's Sermon on the Mount or uh, somebody's walking through the Gospel of John or walking through in January we've got Titus coming up, that's always one somebody could step into. Uh, and if not that, one of those core classes, what is the Bible, what is the church, following Jesus, something that would be easy for somebody to slide into. Five at a time, yeah. No. Not every six weeks. We we used to, and we moved away from it. What we found is that class was having one or two people in it uh, because people saw that as, well, that's the that's the remedial class. I don't need that class. I'm going to go over here. And so then you had a teacher prepping and putting a ton of work in, and sometimes nobody was coming to that class. So the name change and sprinkling those a little more uh, has helped us. Those classes are, are about the average size now. Yeah, and they're all they're all on video. So they're, yeah. So this for this coming six weeks. Oh man, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna forget them all. So for this coming six weeks uh, is the second part. We're offering Financial Peace University. Right, so that's their second part of that. That's a 12-week course that we're running over over 12 weeks. Uh, Dr. York is finishing up Jeremiah, so we, we stretch that over 12 weeks. We will do that occasionally. I try not to do that too often in a year, but there are some that we'll, we'll stretch over two weeks. Um, I'm teaching a class uh, essentially called Loving One Another on how to care well. As a church member, how do you care well for other people uh, in their congregation? Uh, Scott is teaching a class uh, called Knowing God. It's just some basic spiritual disciplines on what it means to know and to, and to follow God. Uh, and then the, the fifth one would be... Yeah, the fifth one's a really good class. <laughs> it's a really good class. There's not a women's class next cycle. Uh, but there's, there's no core... There's no core class in that last cycle. Uh, so we don't offer one every single, every single uh, time. My goal is to every time either have a basic walking through a book class like Jeremiah or to have a core class. Uh, and I try not to, 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 to uh, let, let, that, let a cycle go without having at least one of those. Um, so if somebody's not interested in, that's why we offer five at a time, the medical ethics class on, on how Christians ought to think through medical issues, that's going to interest 30 people. It's not going to interest everybody. I don't want uh, somebody to come and say, well, I've got no interest in that. I just want to walk through the Bible. Great. You can do that. 
You can go to this class right here, and you can walk through a text uh, and still give them an opportunity to do that. Yeah, uh, but except for Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah's walking through the Bible, so that's part of we're always going to do either a core class or, a, 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 or just a walking through a text class, so it's that somebody's got an option. One more, one question, and then I, I, I want to tell you one more thing about this. Let, let me answer that. All right, first of all, we, we, to have a community group, you have to go through our training. And part of our training is you don't have the right to be upset with anybody for not choosing your group. And if they visit your group and then they end up somewhere else, you rejoice in that. You're, you're okay with that. You make sure you always communicate that. And that's just, we push that. Uh, we want, you know, people fit in for different reasons. And Buckrun's got a lot of weird people. He's got a lot. I mean, there's just a lot of weird people. You could sort of tell, couldn't you? And uh, you know, uh, who who knows why they feel like they fit one place more than another? But we want them to be comfortable. And so it's it's all about them finding their fit. And and every now and then we ask somebody to leave a group. That happens too. Um, you don't fit. Uh, so. You know, it, it's, it's actually gone remarkably well. The one thing I want to add about this <clears throat> is it took us a year in advance to prepare. Uh, like, you, you don't just announce this, right? Uh, so I think Adam Bishop probably was the guy who took, like he called Todd Hutcherson up, one of our Sunday school teachers, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. And over lunch... Sort of tell him what we're thinking about. But, you know, for this to work, I need you to buy into this. I need, you know, we really want to use you as a community group leader uh, because that's what you're great at. You're, good, you're great at the relational part. And so this is where we're going to have different teachers, uh, you know, teaching the classes. A lot of it will be our pastors. But we want you to be willing to lead a community group. And, you have those conversations one-on-one, -on -one and you get them to buy into it. Uh, and if your teachers get on board, then you're ready to spring it on everybody else. And it took a year for that to happen. So part of this was motivated as we looked ahead to getting in that new building. You can't build 30 Sunday school classrooms like you used to. You can't afford to do that. <clears throat> so... We just knew, we're, just for financial reasons, we're going to need to make a change like that. And I will tell you, it's just been remarkable. I, I can't tell you, the, I think it has deepened our people, and it's broadened them as well. Fellowship is so much better in a two-hour community group than it is you know, trying to get it in in a Sunday school class in which you share prayer requests, uh, try and talk to each other and have a lesson, you know, and then go get your kids or whatever. <clears throat> it, it, it's just worked remarkably well. It, uh, I, and I was against it first time I heard it. I just went, Gene Costigan, you know, I told you all about Buddy Costigan. You know, Gene, Gene Costigan is, was his wife, and 
I, I said, I mean, she was just like to me, like the queen of our church. I, I, she's in a nursing home now. I love Jean Costigan. She's so wise and godly and wonderful. But this, to, to me, it meant taking Jean Costigan's Sunday school class away. And I looked at Adam. I said, I'm not going to take Jean Costigan's Sunday school class away. You know, that's crazy. Within 20, 24 hours, I had convinced myself I was completely wrong, that this needed to happen, that had to happen. And again, what I was telling you earlier about you don't, you don't, have, to be in, you don't have to have control. You know, you want to have good people around you. You got to have people you trust who are sometimes smarter than you are. And, you know, you got to be entreatable, listen to their ideas. And to me, this is just a great example of this wasn't my idea. I didn't even want to do it. It was the right thing to do. And it's, you got to work it. It doesn't happen by itself. But what it's done to deepen our church. And people come, visit. If a Christian family visits you, they're blown away. They're like, man, they're teaching stuff here. You know, you, you really get stuff here. Like, let me ask you, how many of you have ever gotten to teach in your church how we got our Bible? Why the 66 books are put together the way they are? You know, there's really not a good slot for that in most churches. Well, we have that, you know, a class on the Bible tells how it, it came from. We explain textual criticism and all that stuff is in there. There's no other, there was never before a place for that. Now there is.